Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. Listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 32, Tamla Horsford. So it's been a week, Kevin. It's been one week. Yes. We just did our friend's podcast called Get Heavy. I think that they're on the podcast platforms now, but you can definitely find them on YouTube. It was a video. Yeah, it's a video podcast. So you can see our ugly mugs in there. Yeah. We will link that in our Facebook groups and social medias and stuff. So if you want to see us there, you can. We talk. And if you don't, you can turn out the light. It's just me trying to desperately talk about true crime while three other dudes try to talk about music. So. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I get too serious at true crime. Well, I don't, it's not that I don't. No, it's, it's not good. that I get serious. It's just that that's what I thought I was being interviewed for, you know. Turns out. Yeah. They just want to talk about rock and roll. I thought they were my friends, but it turns out they were just a bunch of hunks. It turns out. <laughs> so this week I wanted to start off with a little bit of a a message. It's just something that. You know, I'm not super duper active on social media or anything, and I I save a lot of that stuff for my classroom, and I haven't really had a platform to do that now that school's out, and it's just, you can't launch into a diatribe to your Chromebook, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's not that I don't have an audience or anything, and it's not that I'm trying to, like, push She's my agenda on anyone. She's got four dogs and me. But, you know, my heart is heavy along with a lot of my friends' hearts as well and and the country as well with all of this stuff that is going on. Um, So I just wanted to gather some of my thoughts and start off this week going into this case. And, And I will say that I am specifically doing this case because of the events going on in the U.S. right now and all of the events that continue to go on as we continue to get more news stories from across the country during all these protests and riots post Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery. So these are just some thoughts that I have that I've kind of gathered over the last couple days. Highlighting cases of mysterious black deaths ruled as accidental or by suicide with minimal to no investigation, stories of unarmed black women and men being slaughtered by the police. Though these are not the only stories, These are the stories that we are purposely recognizing right now because historically, these are the cases that are often not highlighted in the mainstream media. It's like saying Black Lives Matter, not to the exclusion of others, but specifically to highlight the inclusion of traditionally marginalized groups of people. And right now, it's Black Lives that we are focusing on. What's important right now 
is that we demand that Rhea Milton in Ohio and Dominique Remy Fells in Pennsylvania, both black trans women, are given the same amount of outrage and investigation as any JonBenet Ramsey or Madeleine McCann. Just this week, we are hearing about the story of Rayshard Brooks being shot twice in the back by police after he took away an officer's taser and ran away with it at Wendy's in Atlanta. We are hearing about Robert Fuller's and Malcolm Harsh's mysterious hanging deaths less than 50 miles apart from one another in California. Are these new news stories happening at a higher rate than before? Maybe, but not really. The fact is that people are finally sick and tired of police being negligently racist murderers and not investigating mysterious deaths when they should. It's not just black families that are getting angry and tired of the usual narrative and coverage. It's everyone, all of a sudden, understanding the outrage. It's everyone admitting that they no longer can keep a blind eye to these issues anymore. And it's the outrage and sudden interest of people, all people, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Ahmaud Arbery, that they have forced the media to report on these issues. It's people showing up in the streets, in GoFundMes, on social media, showing up in black businesses, and demanding that police do better. It's people demanding legislation that bans no-knock warrants, body cams, banning chokeholds that are linked to too many innocent deaths, it's demanding a law enforcement be dismantled and rebuilt for its community and by its community and reallocating funds so that the police don't become the judge, jury, and executioner. So yeah, read up on the race riots in Tulsa, the only time we've ever bombed our own soil, the Tuskegee syphilis studies that targeted black men, Henrietta Lacks, and the more modern stories of death that were never fully investigated as they should have been, like Kanika Jenkins, Kendrick Johnson, and Tamla Horsford. And it's the continued support and interest in these stories that can truly change the tide, change the norm, change the narrative, change media coverage, change the conscience of the United States. So yes, watch The 13th on Netflix. Read Angela Davis and James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni and Bell Hooks. But don't let it just be a trend that you're doing right now. Make it a part of your daily practice. Make it your norm. Because nothing will permanently change if you just let this moment be just that, a moment. Make this moment a movement forward. I'm very, very lucky to have taught at a majority black high school for the past seven years in the whitest major city in the U.S., I was forced each and every day to come to terms with my white, Asian privilege and do better, learn, and understand how I could decenter whiteness and just take inventory of who and how people are showing up in my curriculum. Whose voices are heard? What are their stories? What messages am I sending out? And also, as I was writing this last night, the statue of Thomas Jefferson at the high school that I taught at was toppled over by protesters. And it's amazing. It's something that literally people have been talking about for decades. And the problematic naming of the school, Thomas Jefferson owned 600 slaves and has, you know, there's, there's a very long, dark history of his involvement with people of color throughout his life. And so having a majority black high school, the only majority black high school in the state of Oregon be named after a slave owner is hugely problematic. 
And there's actually a petition on change.org to name the school after a one of my very, very good friends and colleagues who just recently retired named Lenny Edwards, who had a 30 plus year career at Jefferson, which is pretty much like a third of the time Jefferson's been there. It's been there for over a hundred years. So there's just, there's a lot going on, you know, and it's really cool. It's something like people are starting to take action to, you know, what was only words before. I'm not saying that every black death is absolutely homicide or anything, but I do ask that we stop and think about their deaths for a moment to give it the same time and attention that any other mysterious death would generate. So in this moment and any and many moments to come, I want to stop and think about someone who died under mysterious circumstances that deserves more than what they got from the law. This week, we are going to focus on the mysterious death of Tamla Horsford, a 40-year-old black mother of five who died at an all-white adult slumber party in November of 2018. Because of the media attention towards cases involving black people, just recently, like a couple days ago on June 12th, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, is opening back up her case. It's not as open and shut as previous law enforcement wanted it to be. So, Kevin? Well, obviously... Black people have, their history here has been really fucked up. It's undeniable. I think the thing is going on now, there's a lot of anger because a lot of things are fucking, have been bad for a long time and just Super getting worse. Unjust, yeah. And it seems all we see is these politicians making these fucking rules for us, getting away scot-free with all the bullshit they pull while we get fucked for little things that we do. And we have to pay all these taxes to them. There's all these... Everything we do has got something that we have to give to them, you know. It's very fucking frustrating, so I understand. But I also think that we're also being manipulated by these same people. Like, the fucking, like, Nancy Pelosi and all those fuckers, like, kneeling and shit... It's all a fucking show. It's all manipulation. And even on, you know, the Trump side, too. I'm not taking sides. It's it's like so much propaganda from both sides. Like, everything, I think that BLM movement, like, has been taken over by corporate interests. And, like, it's making a ton of money. And where's all that money going, you know? Um, the, it's just sketchy. Like, I smell a fish. And even with the COVID shit, there's a fucking... Virus, yes, but it's been taken advantage of by everyone, just like everything. Every, like these people are fucking parasites. They latch on. Who are these people that you're saying? Because I want you to specify. I would say like politicians okay. and like lobbyists okay. and. Okay, shit I like just want to make sure. Okay. You know. All right. It's like how? What's how can we make money? What's their angle? How can we manipulate and take more power? It's like it's every single thing, and it's like happening so quickly right now. And pretty and, soon, it's like you're going to have to have a fucking chip in your arm to fucking get on a bus or do what, whatever the fuck, buy groceries. Okay, so circling back to your idea of money, right? What creates money for the media? What creates money for politicians? What, what creates money? Well, one thing that does not traditionally create money is basically investigating the deaths of black people. Right. 
a disenfranchised group that has or, yeah, been cast sell. by the they're... wayside and it doesn't sell yeah. exactly. Yeah. If um, there's like a million podcasts that cover um, Kendrick Johnson and also uh, Mytrice Richardson, those are two of the most just mind-boggling deaths that I I think about. I think about my. I'm gonna get teary here. I think about my Therese Richardson all the time. Every single time I, because now I live in Southern California. Every single time I pass the Lost Hills exit, and I look up at those dark hills, I, I, I can't believe what she went through. You know. Yeah, it's really. I it's, and I and and that's one of the reasons I don't necessarily want to cover her because her her case is still fortunately open and highly publicized and a lot a lot a lot of podcasts cover it so if you're at all interested in Mytrice Richardson I mean that is one of the most heartbreaking cases one of the most just stupefying cases I've ever looked into yeah, and then a weird one. and then the Kendrick Johnson one I believe is hopefully getting opened back up but it's it's a very very mysterious death as well there's just so many elements to it that you're just you're you just kind of start to sink your teeth into all of the evidence and then they're like it's closed and it just feels so unfair and part of it is that it's the media saying or people telling the media whatever however you want to look at it that black lives don't sell papers black deaths don't sell papers gosh even just this week madeline mccann's stuff it like her, her her shit's blowing up, right? The Lori Vallow's blonde hair, fucking cunty woman who killed her children. I mean, I have seen that bitch's face one gazillion times, and I don't even care about that case. I think it's a fucking weird case, and I feel terrible for her dead children, but I don't want to see her fucking face one more time. You know what I mean? It's just that's what sells paper. She's, like, sort of pretty. She's like a Casey Anthony, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's, I don't, it's I don't infuriating. Know about, yes, you do. Lori Vallow's Daybell, the like doomsday cult, and they just found the bodies in the bed. You don't check oh. our Facebook group. Hmm. Yeah, okay. That, so anyways, I shouldn't, I have quite a mouth. I'm sorry. I just have lots of feelings. Yeah. So with all of that being said, I do want to focus on more cases of color. Which we're going to talk about cases of color in just a second. I also want to say oh, one thing. Though. Okay. Sorry to cut in. No, 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 it's okay. Please. But I just want to also say that, like, not all police are bad. You know, there's good <laughs> fucking, you know, there, I, I, which okay. is weird for me to say, but like, we're but all policing. The, the, the act of policing, the, the systemic the con- racism. The, the concept I don't like myself. Exactly. So that's why it's hard to be a good cop. But they are people too, you know, like. Yeah. I understand that, but, but it, also but, we need to dismantle and defund the police. Well, just the problem okay. with having that amount of power is it's very easy to, you know, take advantage of it. And yeah. Do fucked up shit with it. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, there. I don't know what the answer is. Ter- well, like, well, the answer is to, as as we can see with the U.S. right now, is to tear it down and rebuild it back up. I mean, that is kind of the theme of the world right now. And part of that is like the police, like, you know, kids are skateboarding in your neighborhood and you don't like it. Who do you call the police? Oh, you hear a firework, the police, all these like fairly like mundane things. Let me finish. (laughs) Let me finish. Okay. 
all these fairly mundane things, the police get called, which automatically ramps it into violence. Because what do the police have? Well, they have a baton, they have a taser, and they have a fucking gun. It's not like these guys are trained in like peace work or community work. They have the power to put you away in a cage. But I'm just saying, like, we call the police too much for things that we could potentially have someone like a social worker or a counselor or some other resource to call upon in the community to come deal with something. You know, we're just so the police and, and, and this is the one thing I'll give police. They do too much. They're given too much to do. What they fucking need to do is solve fucking crimes. Yeah. It's not a crime. It's not a crime to write Black Lives Matter on your doorstep. Like there was that thing in San Francisco like a couple days ago with this Filipino dude. He was writing Black Lives Matter on his front steps in shock. And some fucking bitch comes over and is like, I'm calling the police on you. You don't even live here and blah, 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 blah. And like he posted about on social media and stuff. It's like we're so quick to call the police on not and bullshit stuff. We're so quick to put people in prison that with nonviolent crimes, like there has to be a better way. You know, I blame it on Karen's. Okay, no one wants to hear that anymore. (laughs) Karen is canceled for the rest of the year. I'm new to the Karen game. It's something else. It's it's horrible people calling the police when you could just fucking talk to your neighbor like, hey, do you live here? Like, I don't even see why that lady needed to approach that dude at all. All it is is just, hey, I. What's well, like the shit that I, I was can, like. I, I can't imagine. Call, I, I literally cannot imagine calling the police on someone unless they were like actively murdering someone. Like the guy that was like bird watching and the girl with the dog. Yeah. He wanted her to. Dude, put it she on. fucked with the wrong dude. That whole thing was like super stupid too. Well, she got mad that he was like, "Can you put your dog on a leash?" Yeah. I've gotten mad at people telling me that too, but never in my fucking life would I ever go after them and then fucking call the police. Yeah, that's so it's, it's so weird. It's so foreign. I don't to get us. it. No, neither do I. But that's I would never call the police unless I... unless you were being actively like like unless someone was like attacking me or something with it. but but then honestly you would probably just get a machete and cut their head off yeah if, if i need help getting rid of the body <laughs> just pay them <laughs> off <laughs> anyways oh, I've, we hijacked the beginning i don't want it to be about us but the, here's the thing it's not about us it's it's about right now this movement is about people of color right now okay so right now what we're going to talk about is tamla horsford I got a lot of my info from Snopes, which was the most exhaustive source on the subject, like all the times, police reports, autopsy reports, all of that stuff. I got a lot of it from Snopes. They very much lean towards this being a very tragic accident, but I did get stuff from a lot of other sources, one of which is a website that I love that I'm going to link in our episode notes and also share to our Facebook group. It's called Black Girl Tragic, and it's literally just documenting deaths, mysterious deaths or homicides of black women and black girls. And it is heartbreaking and beautiful, and it's a celebration of a lot of their lives. And it's very, very, very well organized. So I got a lot of information from there. And I also got a lot of information from a podcast called Cases of Color. 
um, with the host, Randy Johnson. I direct messaged her on Instagram asking her if I could give her a shout out. And she absolutely said yes. And I did get a lot of her insight in this episode. She covers only cases involving people of color that normally would not get covered in like mainstream media or anything like that. And just in the last couple of weeks, she's doubled in listenership and doubled in followers on her Instagram and everything. So if you haven't already followed, rate, reviewed, subscribed to her or followed her on Instagram, anything involving cases of color, Randy Johnson, she's awesome. I've listened to probably half of her episodes. She has just over about 20 episodes on her feed. And it sounds like she's trying to get some sponsors. So one way to get sponsors for your show is to have more listeners and, you know, kind of create a buzz there. So please, please do go rate, review, subscribe to her podcast. And let's get more voices from people of color on these airwaves. Okay. Tamla Horsford was a 40-year-old mother of five living in Forsyth County, Forsyth? Forsyth? Forsyth. Okay. Forsyth County in Georgia, which is about 30 minutes north of the Atlanta suburbs. The entire state of Georgia is about 30% black, but in Forsyth County, black residents only make up about 2.6% of its inhabitants. So it's not like the rest of the state. And so a really quick Google search of this county brings up a really dark past that probably explains some of this racial disparity. In 1912, white mobs terrorized and drove out the entire black population of this county, about 1,100 people, as a response to two incidents, the alleged rape of a white woman by a black man and the rape and beating of a young white woman who died of her injuries. A lynch mob attacked and hanged one black suspect. Two teenagers were hanged in public executions following the short trial. So for a very long time, from 1912 and on, there just were no black residents. So it's only been within somewhat recent years, I think in the 80s and 90s, that black families started to kind of live in the area again. It's a very, very dark history. Yeah, that's fucking fucked. And then um, I was just doing a little Googling on the major city. Uh, the only major city in Forsyth County is uh, a place called Cumming, and it's C-U-M-M-I-N-G, which is <laughs> an unfortunate name for a town. Uh... And according to Niche.com, it is of, of the best places to live in the United States. It's number 4,846. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Actually, that's probably not that low. No, it's it sounds like a nice place. It's just not diverse at all. And most of the reviews, that's what they, they're like, these roads. And it's got a huge lack of diversity. So on the evening of November 3rd, 2018, a group of women gathered at the home of Jean in Cumming, Georgia, to celebrate her 45th birthday. The plan was to watch the LSU Tigers play the Alabama Crimson Tide. Literally, that could have just been in a different language. I have no, no idea what any of that means. Yeah, that sounds like code speak. Yeah, and they were supposed to have like an adult pajama party, swim party with drinks and appetizers. How old are these people? In their 40s. A bunch of white women wanted to have a party, and they invited along Tamla. So Jean's boyfriend, Jose, 
hung out in the basement watching the football game with his friend, another dude who was the husband of another party goer named Stacy. At halftime, the two men came upstairs and mingled. And then at some point, there's going to be three men at the party. So it's mostly women, but there are three men present because they are the partners of some of the party goers. The third guy is too? Yeah, I, he's not named. I don't know why. So guests started to arrive around 7, and by 8.30, Tamla arrived. Many of the party goers had never met her before, but Jean knew her because their sons played football together. That's what I was going to ask, was... What's how, the connection? How does she know? Is she, she a friend with someone It sounds there? like she only knows basically one of the people there, which is the woman whose birthday it is. Okay. And it's her house. And so Tamla, she came with a bottle of Coralejo tequila resposado, resposado, as a present for Jean's birthday. But she ended up drinking most of it to herself because Jean didn't like tequila. Who doesn't like tequila? I don't like tequila. Well, <laughs> I've never I can tell tequila. you who don't like tequila. Yeah. Losers. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff from Snopes is very much from interviews and uh, footage that they were able to kind of distill down. So that night seemed to have been a success. They ate a big pot of gumbo and had snacks and drank a lot and had a really good time overall. Cell phone videos included in the case file showed that Tamla was sitting on the couch playing Cards Against Humanity and laughing a lot. She was having a really good time. She was dressed in a white pajama onesie with gray paw prints on it, and she was always smiling. That night, she was especially social, and she was talking with everybody at the party. Everybody said she was in a good mood. She was dancing and just having a good time. Tequila. Yes. Tamla also talked about her family often and with great pride. And at one point in the night, she even FaceTimed her stepdaughter who was expecting, and she was really excited about it. People at the party told police that Tamla went out onto Jean's first floor deck to smoke cigarettes and pot. Tamla had at least six drinks in her, but everybody at the party did. So that is like one thing that I know that Randy said in Cases of Color was that the the blood alcohol, the THC levels, and the, the trace amounts of Xanax in her system are constantly being brought up to the point where it w- is just like, well, obviously that's how she died because she was a big drunk dummy basically but it's like everybody at the party was wasted it's not like it was just her everybody was having a good time everybody was wasted so it's not like it was just tamla on her own being wasted as everything kind of started winding down at night some of the women decided to head home and were picked up by their rides because not everybody was spending the night but tamla was planning on spending the night Shortly before 2 a.m., one of the party goers named Bridget was picked up by her husband. And this is where the husband and Bridget acknowledged or told the police that Tamla saw her off and was in a good mood. She was eating a bowl of gumbo and she was apparently the last one awake at the house. So I guess everybody had gone to bed. Everybody had left and she was kind of up getting done for the night. So... Jean, who is, remember, it's her birthday and she's the owner of the house. Jean's aunt Madeline 
lived at that house as well and attended the birthday party, but she went to bed early. Now, there's conflicting reports at this point of when she got up and noticed Tamla in the backyard. So some reports say 7.30 a.m., but Snopes said that the official police report said 8.45. So that's a very, very big time discrepancy. If you think that there is, if if you believe that she got up at 7.30 and found the body, then it's super suspect about when the time 911 was called because that's like an hour and a half time gap. Right. But if you believe that she got up at 8.45 a.m. and found the body, then it's a much less of a time gap, like almost no time gap. So that is heavily contested and it's really hard, you know, both sides are saying that they're correct, so it's really hard to say. So this aunt woman named Madeline, she got up to make coffee, and she saw from her basement window the body of Tamla Horsford in the backyard. And she said, I was just staring out the window, and I saw those Dalmatian pajamas, so I didn't start the coffee. I got on my knees and said a prayer, and then I ran upstairs. That is not the first thing I would do. That is very strange. Like, how would you know? I know. Why would you say a prayer immediately? I don't know. Like, if I had a wild and crazy party at my house where everyone got wasted, which this has happened. Which is this? Is this? This this Was this aunt part of the crazy party too? She went to bed super early. But she she was was like part of the party. Yeah, she was part of the party. She lived there. And so this has happened to us where we had a party. You remember Matt was passed out outside in our backyard. My first thought is not to drop to my knees and say a prayer. Oh, my God, they're dead. You know what I mean? My first thought is to run out there and see if they're okay. So that's fucking weird. Okay. 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 So Madeline woke up Jean and Jose who came. So Jose Barrera, I believe, is... Jean's boyfriend and he is one of the people he was one of the three men at the party so Madeline woke up those two and came outside to find Tamla Lane face down in the backyard at 8:59. Jean called 911 and asked for an ambulance so again if we believe the time discrepancy that Snopes is giving us that they say they got from police reports that's only 14 minutes that's still kind of a while I wouldn't I would just uh if if I thought somebody was dead, I would be on that phone on in 30 seconds, you know. But other reports that say 7:30 a.m., you can see how suspect that looks. 7:30 and then you're not calling till 9 a.m., that's super sketchy, you know. Well, you got to like, you know, it takes time to take, you know, selfies and stuff. Or it takes time to stage a body, I guess. Or that. Well, and that's again, I'm going to present both sides. So the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office and Coroner's Office were dispatched to the scene and Tamla was formally pronounced dead at 1047 a.m. In a supplemental incident report, the lead investigator on the case, Detective Michael Christian, described the scene as he discovered it. So this is his report. Tamla was located in the backyard in a prone position. She was laying with her head away from the residence and her feet toward the residence. Her left arm was at an approximately 40-degree angle from her body, and the forearm and hand were bent further toward her head in the approximately 10 o'clock position. So I guess kind of like this. Uh-huh. Her right arm was straight, and by her side... Well, this is, I'm trying to like imagine this. Her arm was straight, and by her side with the hand approximately six inches from the leg. Her legs were straight behind her with both feet pointing out to the right. 
Tamla was clad in a one-piece pajama outfit consisting of a white fleece hooded outfit with dog prints on it and a set of ears is fixed to the hood. And we didn't even get into the 911 call, which was fucking weird. It sounds like she just dropped. Yeah. The way she like is found. Yeah. The way her feet are, it doesn't look sound like she was like crawling or anything, you know? Like how they're both just the same direction. Yeah. But what's weird in the 911 call that Jose Barrera says is that he like immediately points out like her wrist wounds. Okay, what were the root wounds? Um, we'll talk about them in the autopsy report a little bit, but like, I, I, it's just weird that they were so ready to start pointing out specific things. Like they shouldn't stuff they shouldn't just, have known. No, not necessarily that, but it's just like my friend's dead. She's not breathing. Hurrying up and get here. I don't know why they're like commenting on like, oh, she's got a. It looks like a self-inflicted cut on her wrist. Like they like he was using some weird wording. So Tamla's body was sketched and measured. Additionally, the height of the main level porch was noted as well as the height of the rail. And in cases of color, she was saying it there was it was anywhere between like 15 to 18 feet from the top of like the railing down to the to the ground. So that would have been how far she would have fallen. 18 feet. Up to 18 feet, but it was between 15 and 18 feet. That's, that's a pretty good fall. Yeah. So with the permission of Deputy Coroner Bowen, Tamla was turned over. Most notable when Tamla was turned over was the fact that she had come to rest face down. Her head had not been canted to one side or the other. So like literally just face down. So it almost like it almost seems like if she had still been alive when she hit the ground... It seems like, you know, you would have that instinct to turn your face to the side to breathe, you know? Or to, like, try to, like, break the fall a little bit. Yeah, I feel like... Some kind of defensive wound. It's just straight up and... It's almost like she was already unconscious. Like, thrown off? Well, it seems that maybe she had already potentially been injured or incapacitated before she fell. Was there any wounds on the back of the head or anything? Well, Well, there's more in the... We only know what we know from the autopsy report, which we'll get to. So Tamla's right wrist was fractured or dislocated. There was a large bump where her wrist met her hand, as well as a cut over the bump, as if the bone had cut the skin from the inside. There were matching defects on both of Tamla's shins. These corresponded with a piece of metal landscape edging, which stood up approximately one inch from the surrounding ground. Other than the broken wrist and cuts on her shins, no obvious signs of injury presented themselves. Two days later, on November 6th, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation's associate medical examiner, Andrew Koopminers, performed an autopsy on Tamla Horsford. The autopsy report can be read in full here, which I'm going to read, although it contains details of fatal injuries that might be upsetting to some people. So just a little more there. The decedent is a 40-year-old woman. Per report, she was last known to be alive shortly after midnight on November 4th, 2018. At that time, she was drinking heavily at a party in residence. The next morning, she was discovered unresponsive in the backyard under a deck that is approximately 10 to 15 feet from the ground. It appeared as though she may have fallen from the deck. She was pronounced dead without attempted resuscitation. 
autopsy revealed severe injuries of the head, neck, and torso, including subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is bleeding in the space between the brain and the skull, subdural hemorrhage, which is bleeding between the brain and the, and the membrane that surrounds the brain, and a fracture to the second cervical vertebrae, which is a broken neck vertebrae, and a laceration of the heart. God damn. I know. Other injuries included abrasions of the face, left arm, left leg, leg, left hand, lacerations of the right wrist and right leg, and a dislocation of the right wrist. The observed injuries are consistent with those received in a fall. In light of the autopsy findings and investigative information, the cause of death is multiple blunt force injuries and the manner of death is accident. Forensic toxicologists from the Bureau of Investigation also tested samples of her blood, urine, and eye fluid for various drugs and alcohol. Like I said before, she tested positive for THC, Xanax, and alcohol. Uh, she had about 0.238 grams in her system per 100 milliliters, which is about three times the state limit for, the, for, drink, for drinking and driving. That autopsy report was finalized in February of 2019, and two weeks later, Forsyth County closed their, their investigation into her death. They stated that the injuries sustained to her, Ms. Horsford were deemed to be consistent with those received in a fall. No evidence or injury patterns indicative of any assault or foul play were noted by the sheriff's detectives or the coroner. Exhaustive interviews with multiple witnesses, family, and neighborhood canvases were conducted by sheriff's detectives throughout this investigation. At conclusion, no evidence of criminal activity has been discovered in this investigation. So that was it as we knew it, right? Okay. okay. But now I want to go into not necessarily, I don't have a ton of theories other than I just don't like that it was open and shut so quickly, you know? Those are a lot of fucking injuries for somebody that just fell off. Like, that's, it's excessive. And also, if that railing, let's say, it's like, I think it's why they say 15 to 18 feet, because I think the deck was 15 feet in the air, and then I think then the railing was three feet high. Yeah, see, there's a lot of fucking weird numbers, too. I want to go to this house and take a measuring tape. Some observers say that it was suspicious that Horsford's body was discovered at 7.30 a.m. and police not called until 9 a.m., like we said. So there's that weird time discrepancy that people can't seem to get settled on. Then the, probably the biggest piece of weird info is that dude that I was talking about, Jose, Jean's boyfriend. He was a probation officer for Forsyth County, and he used his position to access confidential files relating to the investigation into Horsford's death. Hmm. This fact was cited by some of Horsford's friends and family as suspicious or suggestive as a cover-up. Yeah. And he was actually fired for doing that. So he did lose his job as a probation officer. Some of Yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's it's, a red flag. It's a super sketchy. And, you know, the Snopes website, they cited that as like a discrepancy, but they also said that, a lot of people just have morbid curiosity and it could have just been him being like super duper interested into like what happened. And it's like, no, if it's that open and shut, you don't need to look into it anymore because you probably already know all the info. I think he was looking to see if he was a suspect or a person of interest. Or, like, should yeah, he be worried? Trying to find some, something so, Exactly. Out. I don't like that. 
Yeah, I I have to think that there has to have been like some other connection. Like they had to know each other like somehow. Uh Yeah, I also I'm not a hundred percent sure. If she was friends with Jean who owned the house, I wonder how much of a relationship or how well Jose knew Tamla before she came over that night, or if that was like the first time they met. You were saying they just knew each other fucking um from Fo- their, football. From their kids. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, so so Tamla might not know her boyfriend. Was this Jose, dude, like a coach, too, or something? I don't know. I wonder if he's connected with the kids at all. Well, he's connected with the kids in a sense that he's dating their mom. So, like, I don't think that information is available. Like, I don't know if Tamla knew Jose before that night. So some of Horsford's friends and family have claimed that the injuries she suffered, and I agree, are not totally consistent with a fall. While the coroner's report said that Horsford's body had blunt force trauma, many people speculate on the case that these injuries were inconsistent with someone who fell accidentally because they're just too severe. Like, the thing that I find strange about if she just fell, you would would try to protect, you know, you'd try to break your fall with your arms or something. You wouldn't just fall straight... It's like she it's like she down, just like, like 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 that, you know? Like, like there like was weekend no... at Bernie's. Well, and what's weird is that it seems like she kind of almost fell and I hate to say it almost like dead weight, you know? Like well, That's what I'm saying. But but at the same time, if she fell in that manner, why does she have so many fucking abrasions? It's like did that shit happen before she fell? Well, I mean, if you took a header with without like completely With, passed out. Without trying to protect yourself at all, you just went full like, I feel like swan dive into the concrete. I feel like it could like crack your rib cage it or would, something. Yeah, it would be like but an why accordion. Would you, why you know? would you have so many why would you have cuts on your wrists? Cut, That's weird. The cuts on the wrists. So are they are they cuts that would like make you bleed out? No. Like what kind of cuts are these? They're like abrasions, like basically from, scrapes. From being tied up or what? I, no. The thing is, is they just ruled this an accident, so they didn't look into it more. So it's like, remember we said in the autopsy findings that like they were kind of consistent with like the metal railing. And then the woman from Cases of Color said, and I didn't see this in when I was, because I, I didn't look too, too much past a couple of articles, but she said that reports were saying that the only way she could have kind of gone over the railing like that is to stand on a propane tank that was back there. So because there's a five foot high railing, ex- right? Or three three foot, I think. Okay, but so that's yeah, like, like waist level, waist level, okay. right? Yeah. Or higher. So so it takes effort to get up there. Exactly, and so, so she was gonna... saying that she was standing on a propane tank while smoking the cigarette, which doesn't make any fucking on sense. on a bridge. What? Where? Who? Hello. Did you just join us? It's oh, a fucking, it's a deck. House. Okay, yeah. Sorry. So she's, so everybody, so the, the scenario is everybody's gone to bed. She's the last person <laughs> up. She said goodnight to Bridget, who was leaving. She ate her last, you know, bowl of gumbo. She goes out to the <laughs> back deck with her cigarette and, and has like the gnarliest fall ever from like 10 to 15 feet in the air and has insane injuries. I gotta say, that 
No one smokes cigarettes standing on top of a fucking. I know it's tank. like it's like smoking a cigarette while you're like fucking getting gas. Like it's like you just don't do that, right? And so, I it doesn't I I don't know other conspiracy ish stuff. Okay, and and this information I got from the petition on change dot org, which has gotten over six hundred thousand signatures at this point to reopen the case, which is we'll get to first. The lead supervising investigator, Andy Kalin, was friends with one of the persons of interest, Jose Barrera. So the leading investigator knew Jose Barrera. Okay, hold up, hold up. Okay, conflict of interest. Yes, absolutely. He should have recused himself from the case. Andy Kalin, a personal friend to the sheriff, was hired after Ron was elected sheriff. Andy had no prior police experience, was hired, but was hired in a high position, bypassing protocol. How? So it's like this guy is in a position he probably shouldn't be in because of nepotism. And then he happens to be friends with like the sketchiest dude there that made the 911 call or at least is on the 911 call. He, he didn't make it, but he was on it. Yeah, that is... So another kind of weird connection is that the Forsyth County Sheriff Ron Freeman's 2016 campaign manager, Anna DeBolis, is friends with some most of the people of interest that were at the party. Again, also, Jose Barrera was a longtime employee of the sheriff's office being a probation officer as well. So there's just a lot like a lot of the people at the party were friendly or friends with the police department. So right. there's just a, like it's I, I almost wish like another county or like, you know, different. Impartial. Po- but again, yeah, it just it sucks because it seems like everyone's so connected. Yeah. So it's easy. Kinda... It's easy to want it to be an accident, even if things are sketchy, because those are your friends, you know. So I'm not saying that anybody did anything horribly wrong. But at the same time, to avoid any weird, suspicious shit, they should have accused themselves being like, I know these people and that's a this is fucked. Like, I want to step away from this. We need to have a different county come in to be more impartial. You know, it just seems like too incestuous. Yeah, they're like looking out for their friends. Exactly. It sounds maybe it sounds like I mean, I don't know if these people didn't know each other unless they're complete sadists. Why would they just kill this woman well there's some theories and we'll get into that another weird thing is that there were no photographs taken during the autopsy of tamla's body so that that's it like like she's gonna have to be exhumed basically there there were no photographs no photographs were taken at the time of autopsy isn't because again of the autopsy but if it's an accident if it's ruled an accident i don't think that they do I don't, I don't think that they, but it's weird because it's like, how could you deem it an accident until after you're done with your autopsy? Right. I know. I don't like it. It smells stinky. Don't these coroners, I guess it's not, it's the mortician that does the autopsy, right? It's the autopsy technician, maybe. It they could be the medical examiner or the coroner. They don't even have a collection of photographs for their home personal. No. <laughs> On June 12th, 2020, so just a couple of days ago, Ron Freeman asked the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and this is something he should have done two years ago, 
to assume an open investigation into the tragic death of Tamla Horsford, acknowledging public requests to re-examine the case in light of any new evidence that may be available. Freeman pledged to turn over the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office complete files on Horsford's death and fully cooperate with the GBI investigation, which is, again, something I feel like they should have done in the first place because there's just way too many connections. So he also wrote, your agents will have complete access to my office and deputies, as well as my full cooperation. Again, should have done that years ago. Freeman's letter, which he posted on the county's Facebook page, came after nationwide protests um, and a renewed public interest into Horsford's death, which is happening a lot right now. Signs bearing Horsford's names were carried at protests in downtown Cumming alongside those with the names of other African-Americans recently killed by police. Celebrities like T.I. and 50 Cent have posted about Horsford on social media, calling for a new investigation into her death. Over 606,000 people have signed the petition on Change.org, wanting Horsford's case reopened, though they have opened it back up at this point as of June 12th. It doesn't mean that you can't add your name to the petition and just let the family know that you support an investigation into this mysterious occurrence. And I will leave a link for the change.org petition in our show notes and on our social medias and on our website as well. So that's the case right now. It's literally going on right now. Like, okay, it was opened up back up three days ago. Wow. Yeah. That's why I've been I've been wanting to do this case for the last couple of weeks because it randomly kind of came up onto my feed and then all of this stuff happened. And now it's just like people are blowing up. But like, I just think that the more that we can share her story and kind of put public pressure on the police the more likely that's the thing. The police act it under seems pressure. Like there's a cover up going on. It's it's I don't like it. The connections with the. the it's not even a cover guy. up. It's just completely negligent police work. And it could be a cover up. But I just think that there's just sh- so shitty of police that like I don't even know if they were doing it on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're just that dumb. I mean, maybe I don't even know if they're I trying to protect the their own conspiracy side. Yeah, I know. Me too, to some extent. But, you know, so one thing that Randy said in Cases of Color, she offered up a theory that I think a lot of people are just not willing to offer up theories. But that's one of the reasons I really liked her podcast, because she's like, listen, I'm a black woman. I've been in spaces where I'm the only black woman among a lot of white women. And, you know, she was having a good time and all that stuff, but she may have been having such a good time that she may have come off as maybe flirty to one of the dudes, um, maybe specifically Jose Barrera. And maybe he came on to her and she was like, oh, what the fuck, dude? And they could have had a struggle, you know, because if she's the only person up at 2 a.m. and she's having a cigarette on the back patio or the back deck, I could very much see, oh, you know, oh, somebody's up. I wonder what they're doing. Maybe I'll have one more drink before I go to bed. Whoever it was could have had an altercation with her on the deck. Yeah. And pushed her off like, you know, like, shit, I don't want her to tell my girlfriend that I hit on her. So I'll just push her off and, you know, maybe she'll hit her head and not remember it in the morning or something. You know, something else I want to know, too, is that where is the cigarette? 
did it fall with her? I mean, not that it would necessarily change anything, but it was just like, I don't know. Like, everything, was she smoking a cigarette? Was she really smoking a cigarette or did he like force her out there or something? And again, this is all alleged and this is all just like theory making here. But I still find the, unless like the one arm, you said the one arm was. So there's like one arm kind of protecting and then it seems like there's another arm more straight out to her. But her like, like her head, everything is just in a straight line except for that one arm, it seems like, you know. Hmm. That just doesn't seem indicative of a fall. I mean, it does seem indicative of a fall, but after you've already been incapacitated. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know. Obviously, nobody knows. And that's the thing. Nobody knows. And then they were quick to put her body in the ground and fucking rule it an accident. That's the thing that sucks about it. Nobody does know. Yeah. So it's like, hey, why don't we spend a little more time looking at it? I really hope. That she wasn't cremated or anything so that we can exhume her body and look at those injuries again. Because I want to know what made those cuts. I mean, is that really just from the metal railing? And I don't see how the railing can do that. Yeah. And she had, remember, she had those shin, shin injuries too. If she was maybe like crawling or like hanging onto the railing, like... Maybe she was trying to get away from somebody and she was hanging off of the railing and fell. But then again, she wouldn't fall in that position. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, unless she did a half somersault weird thing. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like it. Something's fishy. I didn't think about her trying to get away, but... Anyways, so that's our show for this week. Sorry about any tirade that we went on, but we just have lots of feelings. Yeah, Amy just has me and the dogs to talk to, and you guys, so so deal with it. <laughs> you can join our Facebook group at True Crime Dumpster to talk about recent true crimey events and get additional info on the shows and weigh in. You can follow us on Twitter at, at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. And you can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. We also have a website where we post our source info at truecrimedumpster.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Lastly, rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. So that's it for this week. We will have another one for you next week. But in the meantime, stay safe and don't be a dickhead. (laughs) Don't be a dickhead. All right, so tune in next week where we keep talking out the trash. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.